My name is Sharzad Kiade. I'm a Gemini pescatarian, a mom of two wild little boys. I'm Susan Yara. I'm a mom of two also. This morning, I went to the bathroom alone. I woke up at five, put my boob in her mouth, and then she took a dump. Because that's what she uses me for. <laughs> that's what you're going to hear a lot of our stories and experiences in our crazy journeys to motherhood. It's fam for all moms, not for all dads, not fathers and moms, for all moms. It's going to be a good old time. You guys are going to want to stick around. Promise. So subscribe. Hello, I'm Joe Devine. Welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Connor Kelly, the wonderful Connor Kelly. Connor Kelly has been writing some of our brief history video scripts uh, for videos that have been out on the channel recently. Uh, The most recent of those was about Ravel Morrison, uh, that ex-Manchester United youth team prodigy, friend of Paul Pogba, friend of Ryan Tunnicliffe, two names that don't go together that well anymore uh anyway we talk about the uh the, the career so far of ravel morrison he is still only 24 years old and uh, we talk about young players that, that don't find their way what the reasons for that are and you know because ravel morrison is quite an extraordinary example of, of that very highly rated as a young player alongside paul pogba often receiving more of the plaudits so you know what what happens in in, in eight years time so that they're in the uh, very divergent positions that they're in now. Before we start, uh, I do want to get ahead of potential criticism that that we might get. And this is something I don't normally do this. I don't normally do this. But uh, one of the benefits of of having a larger audience on YouTube is that you can quite accurately predict what people are going to criticise you for, uh, for upcoming videos. (laughs) Normally I just ignore it. But this time I feel I actually might be... uh, Slightly understandable criticism, uh, but I want to get out in front of it and say yes. This this is the second podcast in a row that we have focused on something or someone related to uh, the football club Manchester United, and I appreciate that for everyone that isn't going to be. Um, it's not that's not going to be something that everyone's going to enjoy. However, I want to defend my decision uh, before we start by saying that th- this episode isn't isn't about Manchester United. Last last week's episode wasn't about Manchester United. Last week's episode was about finance and about owners and about leveraged buyouts. Thrilling stuff. This week's episode is about young players. It's about mental fragility. Uh, It's about, you know, what happens to people as they age. Manchester United happens to be the backdrop for this, and the reason for that is, is quite obvious. It's because they're an incredibly famous football club. The stories of those players and those owners are much... Uh, more widely appreciated and known, and they've got lots of money, and uh, and they've got lots of they've had lots of success. So there's you know it's a sort of it's an easier backdrop to 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 draw the stories on top of. That's that's the only reason. However, at the same time, I am aware that uh, by virtue of the fact that they're very successful, that means that some people, however much they you know they try to help it, they just hate Manchester United, and that's fine. I completely understand. Uh, so I promise you. The next week's episode uh, won't be about Manchester United. Um, lucky for me, I'm not here next week, so someone else will have to sort that out. That's the other thing. I'm about to uh, go away from work for two weeks. So uh, Josh from This Football Life has very kindly offered to cover me on this show for a couple of weeks. So you will be getting episodes. They'll be hosted by him instead. And as a result of that, they'll be much more interesting <laughs> than, uh, than than the normal weeks would be. Um, so lucky for you a breather from the drudgery for for two weeks, uh, but I'll be back after that, so 
I'm sure things will get back to normal. Also, if you didn't already know, we're working with uh, the Bundesliga at the moment uh, to create some uh, Bundesliga-related tactical videos for their YouTube channel. We've done Bayern Munich. We've done uh, Schalke, I believe was the other one. Uh, We're making a new one now. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what it is. I don't know if I'm allowed to. But it is out this coming Friday on the Bundesliga channel. So please do go and and, and watch that uh, because it will be good and you'll be helping us out as well. Please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Please like us. Like us in any way you can. Even if you can't like us on the internet, just like us in your mind, and I'm sure that the good karma will reach me eventually. And this Football Life, our second podcast, we're really pleased with how it's going, and thank you so much to everyone who has subscribed, because uh, it's been it's been a lovely start, and there's you know six or 700 people listening regularly uh, after seven episodes, which is really great. So thank you so much for that. If you haven't checked it out, please go and do that. I'm frantically promoting things. Because uh, I'm about to reach five minutes, so uh, let's just move on to the episode. Anyway, here comes Connor Kelly after the flute. Okay, so Manchester United are a, a team very famous for their production of, of youth players. Uh, I suppose not necessarily started with the Busby Busby Babes, but they're one of the earliest examples of an incredible youth team that came through under Matt Busby, two versions of. Um, and then the most recent, I suppose, arguably would be the class of 92 under Sir Alex Ferguson. And towards the end of uh, Ferguson's career, around 2008, 2009, there was another team, uh, a youth team that uh, to many people looked as if it might emulate uh, the uh, the achievements of um, of uh, of those of those two previous teams. It hasn't done in, in the same way, although it has produced some excellent players. I'm sure we can all agree. Uh, players including Paul Pogba, uh, Ryan Tunnicliffe, who turned out not to be as great as everyone thought, but Jesse Lingard, uh, who's still playing in the, the Manchester United team now and has a new lease of life, I believe they say, under uh, manager. Jose Mourinho and uh, there were a number of others as well some who uh, have experienced lesser fates Adnan Yanazai who was very popular under David Moyes he was a little bit younger but he was part of that team too Will Keane and Michael Keane one of whom broke his leg and uh, sort of fell out of uh, regular playing time but Michael Keane who's uh, very recently been a big money move to Everton from Burnley he's doing very well and they, there was talk about him coming back to Manchester United as well but the player that we were, we're going to hit to talk about today is is Ravel Morrison and Connor you wrote the script for a video on um, on Ravel Morrison recently because in that team in 2009 uh, he played alongside Paul Pogba he was considered to be the complete attacking midfielder uh, he wasn't exactly the same player as Paul Scholes but he was often cited as a, a potential replacement for Paul Scholes if he could make his way into the first team um, and he was often considered uh, to be you know the superior to Paul Pogba or at least he was given more plaudits than Paul Pogba was in fact Sir Alex Ferguson uh, once called him the best talent that he'd ever seen of that age group you know which is quite something when that comes from Alex Ferguson uh, but it, it hasn't worked his career hasn't worked out the way that he and everyone else would have hoped has it Connor? No um, I mean when he first when he first broke through um as you said, like Ferguson christened him the, the best young player he'd ever seen at that age. And I think Rio Ferdinand recounts a story of the first time he, he watched him in training and taking the piss out of guys when he was like 15, um, out of like first team players. And he said that 
he'd never seen he said that he he would pay to see to see Robo Morrison train because he was that exciting um mm. but there was always kind of issues lingering off the field um from an early age uh and you could tell that like all wasn't right with him be it mentally or in his personal life and it kind of just seeped into what he was doing on the pitch Mm. Uh, one other thing, a slight tangent. I know it's early for tangents, but I was reading about what Rio Ferdinand said just before this podcast. One of the things that interested me in what he said was that uh, I think that I think that quote that he's referring to is Alex Ferguson uh, pulled him over, as you say, to to uh, youth training and told him to watch. But he also invited Wayne Rooney to come over as well. And Ferguson told Ferdinand and Rooney that this kid was better than both of them at their ages, and he was better than you know Ryan Giggs at his age, and you know. And it, what, what struck me as interesting, interesting from that is, firstly, that, that Ferguson would say that, but also that uh, it's it's interesting to me that players who play in completely different positions can be compared at that age, because I guess what Ferguson was talking about was raw talent and footballing ability just generally, rather than positional ability. So I suppose, because we you know, spend all our time watching the, the adult game, I suppose we don't really think about it in the same way, but you know, kids are at that age aren't necessarily always cemented into positions and maybe that's not what they're judged on at, at 15, 16 years old, right? Well, we'll never, well, Ferguson never wanted to miss an opportunity to ha- have a dig at Wayne Rooney anyway, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think there's more to that than just the uh, just that he thought that Ravel Morrison was talented. But yeah, I think that like, because when I first, the first few times I would have watched Ravel Morrison and um, I would, that was the first thing that struck me was just that he had like kind of no positional awareness whatsoever. But like when you gave him the ball, he could do magical things. Mm. And I guess that was probably that's probably a lot of that's probably to do with his attitude and training and stuff like that. Because there was that's where you kind of mould your positional sense and um, your kind of understanding of the game is in, in situations like that. Whereas you kind of get the impression that Rafa Marson just wanted to be the guy who. Got got the ball, did a few tricks, did some nice stuff, scored two goals, but like didn't really want to put in put in the work required to reach an, a, another level. It's, he, he seemed like one of those guys who just would rather would rather have all the glory, but didn't want to have to work for it. Mm, yeah, and that actually got him into trouble a couple of times as well. In fact, there, there was one account of uh, of his younger playing career when he was playing for England under twenty ones, and uh, they played a game against uh, Lithuania. And I think the account is that they, uh, they they tore the Lithuanian team apart and Ravel Morrison got two assists and two goals. But he ended the game uh, scrapping uh, with uh, Wilfred Zahar in the centre circle because Zahar was frustrated at his refusal to pass the ball to him on the wing. And I think, you know, if you... Obviously, highlight packages aren't, aren't the very good way of uh, assessing a player, but if you do watch them of Ravel Morrison, more often than not, there's a, there's a lot more... Uh, long winding runs and shots from distance and there are incisive passes which is why I always found the Paul Scholes comparison a slightly odd one it's ironic that Wilfred Zaha is moaning about anybody hogging a football like <laughs> but uh, yeah I think um, yeah that like that um, I suppose the Scholes comparisons like it's it's that's it can be kind of lazy because you know he it just so happens to be that they're both midfield players from Manchester United so like I, I think that we mm. kind of tend to draw these comparisons more so like because of the player because of the position they play in and also the club they play at rather than any similarities in playing style i mean there's the, the recent one i've seen is like comparing like kevin de bruyne to steven gerrard and but like with the exception of with the exception of like their 
maybe their passing range and their shooting ability. I think they're different players and they kind of perform yeah. different functions. So it is. It's, it's quite easy to it's quite easy to label players based off of like based off of players who would have played in their position with the club. Like that's always the when midfield players join United, they always invariably get compared to Skulls and Roy Keane. But like yeah. for one reason, one of the reasons I well, this is a bit of a hot take, but one of the reasons I think Michael Carrick wasn't appreciated for a long time at United was because he was following the footsteps of Keane and he was wearing Keane's number. Um, but he was a completely different player, like a mm. totally different player in a totally different era. So I thought that's why I think one of the reasons that originally he didn't get the credit he deserved was because he was following on from a figure who was so huge in Manchester United's history like Roy Keane, but like they were totally different players. So I think one one of the frustrating things for, for uh, Manchester United fans, and in particular for, for Alex Ferguson, uh, was that that potential lack of application? I think is is often uh, application is often a word that uh, you know, or lack of associated with Ravel Morrison that has followed him uh, throughout every club that he's gone to. And I think it's a real shame when you when you encounter players at a young age who have the potential, as Ferguson said, to be you know something very special within the game and aren't able to apply themselves to it. And Ferguson wrote about this a little bit in uh, in his book Leading that he released in 2015. Um, and he says, sadly, there are examples of players who have similar backgrounds to Giggs or Cristiano Ronaldo, who, despite enormous talent, just aren't emotionally or mentally strong enough to overcome the hurts of their childhood and their inner demons. And Ravel Morrison might be the saddest case. And I think that that's a, a really interesting way of looking at it, because in the, particularly the comparison with someone like Cristiano Ronaldo, because Gig, you know, Giggs. Are, you know, perhaps a, a similar sort of background, but he has a very calm exterior. Whereas Cristiano Ronaldo seems to have a, a totally undying drive to uh, achieve, you know, any goal that he sets himself out for, and and arrogantly so, and in the face of you know everyone that stands in his way, and is a it, it's totally becoming of his character. And I think you can see a similar sort of fieriness at times in Ravel Morrison, but it, it seems to be displaced. And I suppose, I mean, do you think that sort of thing is just is just I mean this is an impossible question to answer kind of but is that just luck of the draw like where where uh, where your attitude lies yeah I, I just think it's the fact that the Cristiano Ronaldo is exceptional like there's a reason why he's <laughs> where he isn't in, in the game and it's because of how driven and how like how exceptionally driven he is and how unique his kind of mindset is because there's so few players with that mindset um, I think like it's it's a bit harsh to like to judge Morrison, well, it's a bit harsh to judge players of Morrison's talent who don't necessarily feel, fulfill their potential because it's a very, very difficult thing to have that level mm. of commitment. Where like Ronaldo, like I, I, Ronaldo is probably the type of person who um, watches every little thing he eats. Like every every piece of food he eats is probably, you know, it, it, it's <laughs> it, it's done to a scientific measurement. So like that yeah. kind of dedication is like it. That's you're giving up. You're giving up your prime years to be that. So, so how do you how do you separate it then? Because I guess what I'm thinking is that you know if they have uh, let's say the hypothet. I mean I'm sure it's not that not that similar, but let's say hypothetically that Ronaldo and Morrison had the same upbringing, the same you know a very similar upbringing, similar background uh, from an impoverished area, and football was their their talent and their way out. What to what can you pertain to the to the the the, the physical degree and what goes to the mental? So for example, we talk about. The reason that Ronaldo is, is so good there being his drive. And I think, I honestly think that's a big part of it. I think there are lots of players who have, uh, you know, the physical capability to be as good as him, but perhaps don't have 
the mental capability to do so. So is that the key difference, you know, putting aside any physical differences between those two players? Do you think that's the key difference that Ronaldo has uh, has a drive and, and, and an ability mentally to see things through and Ravel Morrison, for whatever reason, can't keep the focus on that? Yeah, that totally, because, I mean, and there's, there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, if you look at just, if you look at their backstories, I think one of the things that kind of strengthened Ronaldo's resolve is like, his father's battle with alcoholism and I think he saw a path that he didn't want to go down and like it it drove him in the opposite direction and also I think another thing that probably helped him and like Ferguson has references as well that Ronaldo got out of got out of his hometown at an early age whereas Morrison was a a Manchester boy grew up in the area and couldn't escape kind of the vices around him where and Ferguson like Ferguson Mm. referenced this like when he left um, to go to West Ham that you know it was good for him it was good for Marston to get out of Manchester because he needed to start a new life he needed to get out of that city because it was just it was having a claustrophobic effect on him so I think like it's circumstantial as well that like you know Ronaldo I think because he, he managed to get out of his where his upbringing or where he where he lived um, and the problems in those areas like he, he managed to he managed to basically grow up a bit, a bit faster and yeah, it is a lot of that. Like, I do think it is circumstantial. Like, if you there's there's a lot of stories of fame, famous sports people who've kind of come from really really tough backgrounds, and a lot of them kind of do suggest that the reason why they've made it is because they managed to get out of that area. Whereas I think Morrison yeah. Morrison probably could have done with leaving Manchester from an earlier age, or at least I don't know, because I, I don't think by by all accounts I don't think. Ferguson or Manchester United could have done much more for him. No. Well, Ferguson talks about that as well. He says uh, that Morrison possessed as much natural talent as any youngster we've ever signed, but he kept getting into trouble. It was very painful to sell him. He could have been a fantastic player, but over a period of years, the problems off the pitch continued to escalate and we had little option but to cut the cord. At which point, as you you mentioned, he went to, to West Ham under Sam Allardyce. And I think that, again, one of the interesting things about this story is uh, if we consider, you know, what what future Revel Morrison might have now, because he's still only twenty four years old. Uh, what future he might have now, I suppose, you have to think lies totally in his own hands. Because if he was uh, unable to be properly motivated by Alex Ferguson and then Sam Allardyce, who, for whatever you think about him as a manager, is clearly a motivator of, of football players. I think that's 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 fine to say. Uh, presumably, that's all going to have to come come from him, right? Yeah. Well, look, I think. Um... The problem was, yeah, like, that's it. I think he, he, it, it is basically down to himself. Like, if he, he what he wants to achieve now, because he then, like, I know it's skipping on a bit, but when he went to when he went to Lazio, he worked under Stefano Paoli, who's also a coach who is very, very good at yeah. motivating players. Like, he's like he's maybe not the most tactically astute coach, but his his strength is in motivating players and, and getting them to kind of work for the team. And he couldn't do it either, and he just he kind of referenced Morrison's sort of laziness in training and his um, and his just his inability to learn Italian. And this is kind of a, it's a it's a recurring theme when you hear former managers of his discuss like his uh, his application and attitude in training. Um, I think he had a bust up when he went on loan. Um, when he went on loan to who was it? Was Man- Cardiff? Was it? I think Russell it was Car- Slade. Yeah, yeah, he fell out with Russell Slade. Um, pretty sure yeah. he had a bust up with Lee Clark as well over his attitude in training. So, yeah, he's it is it's a recurring theme, and you know it's 
it's not it's <laughs> there's not an awful lot that managers can do if if he's consistently no. perennially lazy. And actually, the the Lazio move, while it seems uh, slightly unusual as well, it's actually actually kind of makes some sense in a, in a, a romantic way because obviously it was the the previous home of players like uh, Paul Gascoigne and even Paolo Di Canio, who are two uh, well incredible footballers who also had a very fiery exterior. So you know, I suppose in a in a narrative driven way, uh, revitalizing a career uh, at, uh, at Lazio for a young English player would have would have made some sense. It's a shame that it didn't. But a couple of broader questions on on the issue now, because I think one of the things that's um that that's been mentioned in, in relation to the to the Ravel Morrison story, and also it happens happens much more frequently now, is that uh, p- people and fans particularly are much more wary of uh, players who are, are garnering attention or being overhyped, uh, as as it's called by the press or by other managers. Adnan Yanazai uh, had the same thing when, you know, he put in a couple of good performances for for United. All of a sudden, um, the FA were trying to get him to <laughs> get him to play for the England national team, which retrospectively, you know, seems silly at the time when you're caught up in the whirlwind of it all. Seems like wow, this guy, he's the future of the England team. And then you know, a couple of years later, he gets relegated with Sunderland in one of the worst teams, you know, in in the history of the Premier League. So I I think. There's there's a, a wariness now, particularly in England, around overhyping younger players, and I think a lot of that relates to the international team, uh, because the over analysis perhaps of of England, uh, whenever a, a major tournament is coming up, it does seem to have some uh, effect mentally on the players. And Ravel Morrison is probably someone who's experienced this as well. In fact, we we put a video out on on Tifo uh, today or last week, if you're listening to the podcast. Uh, uh, about Ryan Sessegnon, who's a, a young English player for Fulham, and the writer Alex uh, Stewart said, at the moment, given the options that that uh, England have uh, at that youth level and I suppose at a senior level as well, aside from from someone like Raheem Sterling, uh, Ryan Sessegnon perhaps presents the best left-sided left left midfielder option that, that the country has. You know, and there were comments in the in the uh, in the comment section of people saying, you know. Yeah, he's great, but don't don't overhype him. There's there's like a palpable sense that people are afraid that if you say too much uh, that's positive about a young player, that they'll you know they'll prevail to be nothing, as as in the case of of Ravel Morrison. So, firstly, I wonder how much you think that affected him. I mean, uh, as, as I say, uh, Alex Ferguson. Although this probably wouldn't have been public knowledge at the time, but Alex Ferguson thinking he was the best kid he'd ever seen, and uh, how much that affects players generally, and what what your opinion is on on that uh, where it regards to the Eng- England national team as well. Yeah, I think well I think that I I doubt Ferguson would have told Morrison that um he f- felt he was the best young player unless like he was using it as a motivational tool but um like it really depends on the person involved like I mean you re- referencing Raya Raya Sessegnon there like Sessegnon Sessegnon's still only 17 but think he it's kind of in his hands in a way as well like if if, mm. if he doesn't want to if he doesn't want unnecessary pressure at this age and he just has to be smart and stay at Fulham for as long as possible stay at a club where he'd be allowed to develop and where the pressure won't be as intense so if, like if he yeah. if it, it's also like choices that you make at the same time um like Morrison is a Manchester lad he was uh, probably I'm assuming he was a United fan as a kid so I there was always he was always going to choose Manchester United when the opportunity came. But at the same time, when you're playing for a club like Manchester United at that age, the the pressure is going to be intense. It's going to be huge because it is a, like the scrutiny is 
like nothing else. So if you if you sign for any of the major clubs around Europe, um, this is the sort of level you're gonna. This is sort of level of attention you're gonna get. It's like Martin Odegaard, the young Norwegian kid who uh, signed for Real Madrid at uh, fifteen. Was it? I think it was fifteen, sixteen. Um, like mm-hmm. that. The 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 level of attention he got for his age, like his far exceeds far exceeds plenty of players who are of the same ability as him. Like now he may go on to be a really, really great player in, in his own right, but um, there's, there's, there's a lot, like, plenty of people have seen seen him play and suggest that like there's plenty of guys of his of similar stature and similar, similar ability around Europe that are just not getting attention because they're not playing for Real Madrid or they're not at Real Madrid. So like it's also choices you make in this. Um, whoever's rep, whoever the representatives are, um, whoever the players kind of lean on, like they you know they <laughs> they also have a, a responsibility to kind of guide the player in the right direction because at the same time Morrison when all this happened like he was 16 17 year old kid so you've got to wonder who the people close to him are that were kind of you know recommending where he should go and mm. it just whenever we talk about things like this it reminds me of the film Whiplash I don't know if you've if you've seen the film Whiplash Connor can't say I have no Okay, it's a fantastic film. You you should watch it. It's this I forget the guy's name, but it's the same director as La La Land. It's the film he made beforehand. Ah, it's set. I I may have also referenced it on the podcast before. Apologies if I if I have, but it just it, it rings so true with uh with with the with the young footballer problem because uh, it's set in a uh, the, you know the top music school in, in America for jazz. And there's a there's a Miles whatever his name is plays this young guy who's a who's a jazz drummer hoping to be one of the greats, you know, one of the Charlie Parkers. Yeah. And uh, he he gets into the, the, I guess, the senior orchestra team there. I don't know. I'm just saying team because they're, <laughs> they're not teams, are they? They're just orchestras. The senior orchestra at the college. <clears throat> and there's a guy called Fletcher who's, uh, who's the... Um, Christ, this is falling apart. What do they call them? The conductor. The conductor. <laughs> and the coach. The, co- the coach of the orchestra. The instructor, um, maybe? Yeah, the instructor, the conductor, the coach of the orchestra, the the five-star football team manager of the orchestra. Anyway, the point of the film is that this man is very aggressive in his teaching methods. And uh, he shouts and swears and uh, occasionally physically abuses uh, the students. And uh, the, the, the central question of the film is, I suppose, is this necessary? Because Fletcher's idea is that he's going he's gonna to push people further than maybe they can take it. And if they can't take it, then they were never meant to be geniuses anyway. But if they can, you know, he might, in, in, in all of the sort of rough cuts, he might find a, a diamond. And I think it's, it's a very interesting way of looking at it because as if we compare that to, to what we've just said about players like Ravel Morrison, uh, sure, if they have um, people around them or family members or if they, you know, if they have managers who are going to be sensitive to these sorts of issues and, and guide them through things like this when they're young, that's obviously going to be more it's going to make it more likely that they're going to succeed at an adult level but then in the case of people like Cristiano Ronaldo who as you said perhaps found something from his childhood to to uh, build this desire and drive within him to make sure that it happened obviously it's impossible to, to quantify this but one way of looking at it is that a player like Ronaldo he made it happen for himself and uh, he did it in in lieu of you know some potential problems in his way so if we were to you know take take Fletcher from the film Whiplash's argument about that, there wasn't going to be any sort of pressure that would stop Ronaldo. I mean, when when he first arrived at United and he had those blonde highlights and he was, you know, playing down the wing still, 
uh, he lost the ball countless times and didn't pass it ever, and he just carried on doing that and you know, uh, fought through, I suppose, unimaginable pressure to become the player that he is now. So there's an argument to say that that sort of player would, would have withstand, would have withstood any pressure. And I suppose at the top level of football, if if you can't, you it's a, it's a horrible thing. You, I suppose, you fall by fall by the wayside. But um, it's it's a moral quandary, really, isn't it? You know, do you do you do you allow young players to experience pressure, particularly in England, where the where the sports press seems to um, perhaps not so much these days, but certainly there was a period, as I said, particularly related to the England national team, where players are sort of hounded and scapegoated and you know overhyped, and and there's an awful lot of sensationalism. Uh, sensationalising that goes on around these players. I assume you haven't seen. Uh, I'm sure you, you haven't googled Raheem Sterling's shopping trips. Anyway, <laughs> right? No, but that's a, you know. There you go. That's a that's a, a, a reasonable example. She, um, yeah, but millionaire footballer splashes his wealth on house for his mother and gets slated for it. Sure, sure. But I mean, he's a great example as well because people dislike Raheem Sterling, and I think this season. Yeah, because well, he's proved to be uh, you know like in the right team under the right coach. He left one of the he left one of the two biggest clubs in the country in terms of like attention, um, where there's loads of like Liverpool supporting journalists and people in the media. So it's that's kind of like there's all this this argument that there's bias against certain clubs, but uh, there it's a, by just through the the history of the two clubs involved, like United and Liverpool, there is going to be more kind of attention in those clubs so if you leave those clubs it's a big deal but yeah like Sterling yeah. Sterling has been like just vilified for no other reason than the fact that he had ambition to move to a club where he was gonna achieve what he wanted to yeah yeah but then again another example of, of a young player who has managed to, uh, to quell quell the tension I suppose because you know he's proving on the field this season uh, what a good player he is but yeah I don't know I suppose as, as I say I think it it you know the reason it always reminds me of that film is because it's because I I do wonder um, if if the great players can withstand the tension and the speculation whatever it is and can withstand all of the pressure and if they can't then perhaps that's part of what makes them different from the great players. Yeah, I mean like there's there's a few exa- there's a few examples of players who were just so talented that they couldn't fail. Um, I mean like. If you like, obviously Diego Maradona, with all the stuff that he had gone on and all the stuff he got up to, yeah, he was still just incredible. Like what he achieved. Um, it, it then he had like George Best who had like alcohol issues throughout his entire career, but was still just one of the most incredible players anyone's ever seen. And like sometimes yeah. even Ronaldinho, like well, I suppose Ronaldinho for two years, was two to three years, was the best player in the world by a distance. He achieved absolutely everything, but then. Is like by the time you reach twenty six, when he'd he'd reached the mount, the top of the mountain, he'd nothing left to accomplish. He'd won every single trophy that there is to win as a player, and yeah, yeah he just sort of decided he enjoyed nightclubs at three o'clock in the morning and samba dancing <laughs> more than his football. So, which is, I think, in that case, it's perfectly okay. Like I wouldn't judge Ronaldinho on that because he's obviously lived <laughs> a great life and he he wants to enjoy a success and like he achieved everything. So, who am I to judge someone who's a achieve that plus he's always smiling so it's difficult to dislike yeah he, lo- he just he, he clearly is somebody who loves his life in general like even yeah. um uh and football to him to, after he achieved everything was just enjoyment it was just going out and having fun so you, you can't yeah. you can't yeah. you can't judge someone who's like just because he's not a robotic freak 
like a Ronaldo or someone like that who's just solely motivated and just achieving objective after objective. Like it doesn't mean we don't judge, we don't uh, rate how, how much of an incredible player he was. Yeah, yeah. Well, final question on um, more broadly on Manchester United because we started this by talking about uh, the the sort of generations of youth teams that, that have come from the club and the last one, you know, not quite living up to the billing, I suppose, with the exception maybe of, of Paul Pogba, Jesse Lingard as well. Yeah, Lingard so, so, well. Yeah, um, but do do you think now because that 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 I don't know it it seemed to me that that final that final youth team really just reflected Alex Ferguson and what he was about. And I wonder now if uh, if you think that Ferguson's well, he still obviously has a presence at the club, but now that he's no longer the manager and doesn't have direct oversight of things like that, do you think that we you know have have sort of seen an end to that particular era of 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 youth teams coming out of Manchester United? Not to say that they won't develop you know players to to go on and fill the other Premier League teams as they have been doing for the last twenty years, but um, do you think we might have have seen an end to that sort of? nucleus of players developing at, at the same time because that always seemed to be uh his long-term vision oh yeah 100 that's it's done like that this well unless you have a unless you have a coach in, in place who is willing to take the time to develop these players with Jose Mourinho is painly not that manager like he's Jose Mourinho is there I know mm-hmm. he just I know he just signed a, a new contract extension but Jose Mourinho is clearly there for the short haul his methods don't work over like his methods don't work after three years. Like the stuff breaks down, he will invariably pick a proven player ahead of a young player. This is, which is why, like Sanchez, Alexis Sanchez is an incredible signing, but he's also twenty nine, and he's likely going to take the spot in the team of Anthony Martial or Marcus Rashford. Like so, you, this is yeah. the, and I also think it's not just to take a pop at Mourinho, which I'm quite fond of doing, but. Um, you know, as a club, and even just all the top clubs, like because of, with the exception of, like I guess Tottenham, like all of the top clubs have to win over a short term, a short period. So that invariably encourages clubs not to bring through academy players because academy players take time to develop. It takes mm. them three or four years maybe to get up to speed. Um, in the exceptional cases, like a Rashford, it maybe takes six months to get up to Premier League level and then be an accomplished player in that in that division but you know yeah. you look at all the other top clubs like they they have no they have there's no real time for them to develop these players because there's so much scrutiny and so much pressure on these top elite coaches that they have to win straight away like Chelsea Chelsea have won five of the last six youth cups I think it is and like very few like none of those players are going to get yeah. are going to get a chance in the first team because the my, the model they have is built on short termism so I just it's it's difficult to see any club having that sustained success with a, a group of five or six of their academy players in the team at once. Like it's just, yeah. Like the last team I can think of who did it were Barcelona under under Guardiola, yeah. and like that was the one of the most exceptional groups of players we've ever seen. So, but that's the thing. It's also it's also it can't be a coincidence that uh, they also exceeded the level of most of you know excellently assembled teams in the world because a lot of those players had been playing together for for a very long time. Exactly, and I mean it. it so is it is it to the detriment of football generally if that doesn't happen? Yeah, I, I I think so. But even I do think you need a nucleus of kind of two or three guys who have grown up within the club who are loyal to the club, um, which is why. Like for instance, it's it's easy. It's obviously it's easy to take a pop at Chelsea for their approach with 
you players because it's the one of the most clear-cut examples. But like Chelsea's transfer policy at the moment is just so bizarre that they they've signed like Ross Barkley and Danny Drinkwater to fill positions like homegrown positions in the squad that they could have just used Loftus Cheek and Nathaniel Shalaba, Tammy, like, Tammy Abraham, like guys who were guys who were homegrown come have come through the academy and like they fill that quota. And yeah. but the problem is that was always the, it was also the odd one listening uh, to the to the rumours of uh, Chelsea looking to buy a sort of a big target striker. And I was thinking, well, isn't Tammy Abraham still on loan? I mean, you can you could easily call them back. It's the reason they don't do it though is because um, they they want us the Chelsea want to sign players between the age bracket of twenty and twenty five, but they don't want to sign or they don't want to bring true players at that age because they take time to develop. So the difference between what's yeah. the difference between Barkley and Loftus Cheek, with the exception of a couple of years, is that Loft or Barkley has played 150 times more in the Premier League, so naturally he's more experienced at this level. So Chelsea are like, "Yep, we'll we'll sign him and put him in the squad instead of somebody who needs a year or two of first team football to develop." So it's just uh, like yeah. it's a, it's just a, this is the problem. Like you can see, like the Christensen starting is starting and doing great at Chelsea at the moment, but that was because he played for two years on loan at Gladbach. And mm. he had, he got time to develop. So how many of how many of Chelsea's loan players at the moment will get a similar chance? I hasten to add, probably not very many. So like Loftus Cheek, I don't think there's too much separating Loftus Cheek and Ross Barkley in ability and in, in what they what they can bring to Chelsea. But the difference is one of them mm. is one of them has already got 150 games under his belt and has probably like has a bit more experience at this level and requires less development. Well, it's an odd one, really, because you would have thought that, given that there is, uh, you know, next to no hope of any other team other than Manchester City winning the title, that you might take the second half of the season to um, explore your youth options potentially. Although I suppose that's you know, too simplified a view. Yeah, the problem is Antonio Conte is most likely off in the summer, so uh, the like, there's he's he's probably looking at his next position. Chelsea are probably looking at whoever they have coming in afterwards. So it's just it's just not a model that is designed to have patience and allow young players to flourish or develop. Like you need to be you need to be here for then this could it could change it like for instance it could change it Manchester City or at Liverpool because it looks like both Guardiola and Klopp are in their positions for the long haul. Well um, so you probably see like more of a chance of young players being developed at those clubs than at a Chelsea or a United, but uh, I'd still I'd still be doubtful. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, Connor, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Cheers, mate.